Hello, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Kind of quoting the Truman Show there. Uh, welcome to another episode of I'm Reviewing Here. I'm your po- I'm your I'm your pod I am your podcast. I'm also your host, Matthew Bussey, and I am watching and reviewing Sight and Sounds top greatest movies of all time. I always think I'm really good at talking fast, but I suck. Uh, this is, I think, the first episode I'm at, ever I've ever recorded where I have just brushed my teeth and flossed. And use that little flossing water machine that, you know, it goes through all the, you know, cracks. Yeah, it's late. I know. Um, It's been a big day. I cooked dinner late and I booked my summer trip. I am going to Italia this summer. Italy. Never been. So freaking pumped. So excited. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be broke by the end of 2024, but I don't even care. It's going to be worth it. It's going to be amazing. So freaking excited. Oh my God. Everybody has to go to Italy. Come on. Lizzie McGuire movie. Everyone's seen it. That's like everybody's dream is to go to Italy and, you know, go to that fountain and turn around and close your eyes and throw a coin in. And, you know, it's like slow motion. Yeah, that is everybody's dream. It's not just my dream. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Anyway, uh, let's get started, shall we? Today we are reviewing what is considered to be one of the greatest comedies of all time. The American Film Institute actually voted this movie the third funniest movie of all time, but it was in 2000. Things have changed. I don't know. There are a lot more comedies since then. Two freaking thousand. God. Fuck. I don't like to mention 2000. That just that that is eons ago. Anyway, let's get right to it. Today, I'm going to be talking about Dr. Strangelove, or how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. Tell you this, man, Drake, but you're a good officer and you have a right to know. It looks like we're in a shooting war. Oh, hell. All the Russians involved, sir? Well, boys, I reckon this is it. Nuclear combat toe to toe with the Ruskies. I don't like the look of this, Fred. All right, tell you what you better do, old buddy. I was under the impression that I was the only one in authority to order the use of nuclear weapons. Uh, that's right, sir. You are the only person authorized to do so. And although I uh, hate to judge before all the facts are in, it's beginning to look like uh, General Ripper exceeded his authority. I, I first became aware of it, Mandrake, during the physical act of love. 
plane really got a chance of getting through? Well, uh, sir, uh, if the pilot's good, see, I mean, I mean, if he's really sharp, he can barrel that baby in solo. I mean, <laughs> you ought to see it sometime. It's a sight, you. a big plane, like a 52. It's jet exhaust, frying chickens in the barnyard. Dr. Strange Love. Or, how I learned to stop worrying and love the bomb. A moving <laughs> picture. Okay, this is a little sad. It's a little shocking. I am shocked myself about what I'm about to say. Uh, I don't love this movie. Now, why is that so shocking? Well, because it's Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick, RIP, I mean, one of the greatest directors of all time. I would have never wanted to work with this guy because apparently he was so difficult to work with because he was like a raging perfectionist and... Yeah, um, read up about Stanley Kubrick. I mean, no, he was good. He was a good guy. He just was a perfectionist. I mean, Eyes Wide Shut, Nicole Kidman, Tom Cruise, that, you know, it's like a character drama. Uh, it basically took like a year and a half. I, I may even be wrong. I think it took even longer to make that movie because he literally would require like 300 takes for one scene. Ugh, kill me. I could never, this is why I could never act in my life. I could never do that. No amount of money. I would get so bored after a while but anyway um yeah so that's why it's shocking though that i don't love dr strangelove even though it is an iconic comedy uh in in uh, cinematic history i mean it's one of the most iconic movies not just comedies movies in cinematic history for those of you who aren't familiar with stanley kubrick uh you know he was one of a kind and i think what really sets him apart is that kubrick literally filmed in like every every genre possible and nailed it every single genre i mean i don't love dr strange love but it is considered to be a very funny movie according to a lot of people so he did a comedy he did eyes wide shut an erotic thriller he did full metal jacket a war movie he did the shining a horror movie he did 2001 a space odyssey a sci-fi movie he did barry Lyndon, a period uh drama uh, he did Lolita, which was just really creepy because it's about a, an old man who is in love with a little girl. Um, so, you know, he he's so prolific for that, and I think that's the main reason. Also, I mean, his movies were just fantastic. The cinematography, the performances, the his style in it. I mean, there is a style that it. Sorry, I got it up. This, 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 do you hear that? That's the chair I'm sitting in. Um, I'm not in my office again. I mean, that's the director that he was. Uh, Dr. Strangelove, 
this movie came out in 1964. It's black and white. Uh, it's based, uh, well, it was inspired by this book called Red Alert by Peter George. Peter George also co-wrote the screenplay with along with Kubrick and with uh, Terry Southern, another screenwriter. Uh, but the book Red Alert is actually very serious, and uh, Kubrick adapted it, but completely changed everything and made it a a very satirical, silly, absurdist uh, Cold War black comedy. Wow, that's a mouthful. Say that again. This is why we have podcasts. Go back and, and bookmark that. Bookmark that and say it again. I completely lost track of what I was saying. Yeah, I have a lot to say about this movie. I do. Um, I'm, I'm going to do my best to try to make sense. Oh, crap. What was I just saying? Yeah, okay. Okay. I remember now. Dr. Strangelove, does it really hold up all these years later? My theory is no. Before I get into that, though, because uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with this movie, let, let's just get let's get into the plot. I think, yeah, yeah, let's do that. Okay, plots and ups. Oh, I have a lot of energy right now. It's the Italy trip. Yeah. Also, like you know, like when you book a trip, it's so exciting, but you have butterflies in your stomach. But it's like ugly butterflies that are, make you want to, like you know, throw up and go to the bathroom. Yeah, I have that right now. It's money, man. It's money. Oh, I just hit the mic. Shit. Okay. Plot synopsis for Doctor Strange Lover: How I Learned to Blah 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 Blah, blah and Love the Bomb. Uh, this plot. Uh, blah. Okay. Here we go. United States Air Force Brigadier, I can never say that word, General Jack D. Ripper, played by, and I always forget his, na forget his name, oh, Sterling Hayden. Sterling Hayden was a very uh, famous old actor. He was in a lot of Westerns. Jack D. Ripper is commander of Burpleson Air Force Base, which houses the 843rd Bomb Wing, flying B-52 bombers armed with hydrogen bombs. The planes are on airborne alert two hours from their targets, their targets, excuse me, inside the USSR. General Ripper orders his executive officer. Oh my God! You see, it's too much word, too many words, too many. I don't do well with like nuclear jargon. You know, some people can do it. I freaking can't. I saw Oppenheimer. Love the movie. If you ask me to explain it, though, I will jump off a cliff. I cannot explain it. Anyway. General Ripper orders his executive officer, Group Captain Lionel Mandrake, who's an exchange officer from the Royal Air Force, the RAF, and he is played by Peter Sellers, one of the most funny British comedians of all time, most famous for the Pink Panther movies. Uh... Yeah, so Lionel Mandrake, he's asked to be put... He's asked to put the base on alert, conf confiscate all privately owned radios from base personnel, and issue, quote, wing attack plan R to, to the patrolling bombers. All the aircraft commence attack flights on the USSR and set their radios to allow communications only through their, what the hell is this, CRM-114 discriminators, which are designed to accept only communications preceded by a secret three-letter code known only to General Ripper. Okay, long story short, General Ripper is insane, and he is asking uh, these B-52 bombers to bomb the USSR. One of the bombers is played by James Earl Jones in his debut role. James Earl Jones, uh, 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 was it Darth Vader? 
Yeah. See, people remember him from that. I remember him from The Sandlot. Much better movie, in my opinion. Anyway, happening upon a radio that had been missed earlier and hearing regular civilian broadcasting, Mandrake realizes that no attack order had been issued by the Pentagon. So he tries to stop Ripper, who locks them both in his office. Yeah, Ripper's insane. Ripper tells Mandrake that he believes the Soviets have been uh, fluoridating American water supplies to pollute the precious bodily fluids of Americans. Mandrake realizes Ripper has become insane. You think? Yeah. Now we switch settings to the war room at the Pentagon. General Buck Turgidson played amazingly well by George C. Scott, great actor. He briefs President Merkin Muffley and other officers about how Plan R enables a senior officer to launch retaliatory nuclear attack on the Soviets if all superiors have been killed in a first strike on the United States. Now, this... um, It's also known as decapitation. That's an actual military strategy. The president, Merkin Muffley, I love that name. He's also played by Sellers. So Sellers, so far, plays two people in this movie. And Merkin, of course, is um, American. And uh, 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 Mandrake, sorry, I forgot his name. He is British. Uh, Pretty obvious, because he works for the RAF. Okay, trying every CRM code combination to issue a recall order would require two days. So uh, Muffley, President Muffley, orders the U.S. Army to storm the base and arrest General Ripper. So he's a good guy. Uh, Pretty much, uh, the president. Turgidson, noting the slim odds of recalling the planes in time, then proposes that Muffley not only let the attack proceed, but send reinforcements. According to an unofficial study, this would result in, quote, modest and acceptable civilian casualties from the badly damaged and uncoordinated Soviet military remaining after the initial attack. Okay, so Turgidson is like, kind of nuts in this movie. He's very scary. He, he is funny in this movie. George C. Scott was most famous for playing Patton, General Patton in Patton in 1970. There was a f- famous shot of him standing in front of the American flag talking, and they spoofed it in Space Jam. Bugs Bunny does it in that one sequence. Yeah, that's George C. Scott. Uh, he won an Oscar for Patton, too. He's really good at uh, tough roles. Uh, so yes, Turgidson is just like, well, I don't care. I want to bomb them. Let's do it. Uh, Muffley rejects Turgidson's recommendation and instead brings Soviet ambassador, I can never say his name. I'm sorry. Alexei Dissadesky into the war room to telephone Soviet premier Dmitry Kisov, who was drunk on the hotline. Muffley warns the premier of the impending attack and off. Am I saying that word right? Premier? Yeah. Of the, I hope I am. I don't know. I'm dumb. Uh, of the impending attack and offers to reveal the targets, flight plans, and defensive systems of the bombers so that the Soviets can protect themselves. After a heated discussion with the premier, the ambassador informs Muffley that the Soviet Union created a doomsday machine as a nuclear deterrent. It consists of many buried bombs jacketed with cobalt thorium g <laughs> these are like some of these are real things like that is a real thing it's a type of salted bomb uh a new yeah it is an actual nuclear weapon uh and this is the, all these are set to detonate automatically should any should any nuclear attack Whenever I have to burp, it's whenever I start to like stutter, so I do apologize. Should any nuclear attack strike the country, it's one of the uh, struggles of doing a podcast alone because you have to talk so much and you can't take breaks. I don't even have my water near me. Shit. The resulting nuclear fallout would then engulf the planet for 93 years, rendering the Earth's surface uninhabitable. The device cannot be deactivated as it is programmed to explode if any such attempt is made. 
Now, the president's German wheelchair-using scientific advisor, former Nazi Dr. Strangelove, points out that such a doomsday machine would only be an effective deterrent if everyone knew about it. Dr. Strangelove is also played by Mr. Sellers himself. He, this is a great character. I'm not going to lie. Dr. Strangelove is fantastic. And Sellers, I mean, R.I.P., phenomenal in this film. Uh, anyway, so Strangelove says that, and then uh, he said that the Doomsday Machine uh, would only be an effective deterrent if everyone knew about it. And then Sadesky said, who's the Soviet ambassador, remember, he replies that the Soviet premier had actually planned to reveal its existence to the world the following week at the party congress. Oh boy. So U.S. Army troops arrive at Burpleson and battle with the garrison after General, oh yeah, General Ripper, who is stuck, you know, locked in with Mandrake, he commits suicide. <laughs> Mandrake later identifies Ripper's CRM code from doodles on his desk blotter and relays it to the Pentagon. Using the code, Strategic uh, Air Command successfully recalls all of the bombers except for one, commanded by Major TJ. King Kong, played by Slim Pickens. Yes, Slim Pickens was an actor and a rodeo performer. Slim Pickens. Wow, the names. Due to the radio equipment being damaged by a Soviet uh, SAM, which is SAM is a surface-to-air missile. Uh, so King Kong doesn't know about this, basically. The Soviets hunt the bomber, but Kong flies below radar and switches, switches targets due to dwindling fuel. As the plane approaches the new target, a Soviet ICBM site, an inter intercontinental ballistic missile jesus christ the crew if you're a scientist god bless you i don't know how you guys do it the crew is unable to open the damaged bombay doors kong enters the bay and repairs the electrical wiring while straddling an h-bomb causing the doors to open and the bomb to drop with kong on top of it he joyously hoots and waves his cowboy hat as he rides the falling bomb to his death very very famous shot this shot in this movie is so iconic Back in the war room, Dr. Strangelove recommends that the president gather several hundred thousand people to live in deep underground mines where the radiation will not penetrate. He suggests a 10-1 female-to-male ratio for a breeding program to repopulate the Earth once the radiation has subsided. Worried that the Soviets will do the same, Turgidson warns about a mine, sh mine shaft gap which um, in the United States during the Cold War, that was the perceived superiority of the... I'm not even going to explain it. I don't even know what the hell that means. He warns about a mine shaft gap. Go read a book and you'll figure that out. While Sadesky secretly photographs the war room, Dr. Strangelove declares he has a plan, then suddenly rises from his wheelchair and exclaims, Mein Führer, I can walk! The film ends with a montage of nuclear explosions while uh, the song We'll Meet Again by Vera Lynn, uh, an old song. When did this song come out? Oh, yeah, it came out in 1939. While that plays. The end. All right, Dimitri. General Turgidson, is there really a chance for that plane to get through? Mr. President, if I may speak freely. The Rusky talks big, but frankly, we think he's short of know-how. I mean, you just can't expect a bunch of ignorant peons to understand a machine like some of our boys. And that's not meant as an insult, Mr. Ambassador. I mean, you, you take your average Rusky, we all know how much guts he's got. Hell, look at, look at all of them, them Nazis killed off, and they still wouldn't quit. Can't you stick to the point, General? Well, uh, sir, uh, if the pilot's good, see, I mean, I mean, if he's really 
sharp. He can barrel that baby in so low. I mean, <laughs> you ought to see it sometime. It's a sight. A big plane, like a 52. Room. It's jet exhaust. Frying chickens in the barnyard. <laughs> yeah, but has he got a chance? Has he got a chance? <laughs> well, you, so I first saw Dr. Strangelove back in the day, uh, back in the days when I was a teen and Netflix was not streaming and you had to get Netflix through the mail. And I remember Dr. Strangelove, oh my God, I was so friggin' excited to watch it. But the first time I watched it, I was like trying to laugh and I couldn't do it. I, I, I just, I tried and I was so bored by the movie. Now, I was a kid back then. I, you know, people change most of the time. I rewatched it, you know, years later, still didn't laugh. I rewatched it again, still didn't laugh. It's like Napoleon Dynamite. Some people find that movie funny. I friggin' hate that movie. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can unfollow me if you want to. I'm not a Napoleon Dynamite fan, but I remember when that came out, people were apeshit about it. And I watched it, and I just was like... <sighs> I'm also like, I'm not a grouchy guy. Like, I'm not the happiest person in the world, but I I like silly movies. I like silly stuff. I like silly TV shows. Dr. Strangelove is really, <clears throat> excuse me, it's basically, I mean, it's only an hour and a half, but it's basically an hour and a half of conversations. And there's no real, I don't really find a lot of humor in it. I don't find the dialogue funny. Peter Sellers, you know, Dr. Strangelove, his character is funny. I don't find the other characters funny. You know, Merkin and Mandrake. Sellers does a good job, of course. He's a, such a talented guy. But they're kind of forgettable. Dr. Strangelove is so funny in this movie, but he's only in like two scenes. You know? Um, it's just, it's disappointing. I, I always found that kind of disappointing about the movie. And I just feel like... The movie isn't really as clever as I think it is. Or, you know what? No, let me rephrase that. The movie must have been so clever when it came out in 1964 during the Cold War. But nowadays, I mean, there's always a threat of a nuclear bomb and, and stuff like that, you know? But, um, I mean, welcome, this is America, 2024, you know? But, like, I just don't think that the movie holds up. I know that's a controversial opinion, but I don't think it holds up. I don't think it's that clever. It's like, I get the satire. I get it's just a silly movie. I don't think Kubrick is poking fun at America here. I think he's just making a silly comedy. It's silly. It's silly. The president has a former Nazi working for him in post-World War II America. I mean, like... There's a guy named King Kong riding the back of a hydrogen bomb going, Yahoo! I mean, yeah. I, I, you know, there's a scene where Turgidson and um, the Russian, the Soviet ambassador, you know, they have this little pickle in the war room. And then uh, the president, Sellers, comes and goes, You got, guys, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. A very famous quote from the movie. It's like, uh, uh, ha ha. You know, I get it. I get it. I get it. It's it's like, it's quirky. It's funny, you know? And it's, I like how the movie doesn't really have a big political, at least in my opinion, it doesn't really have a big political thing that it's trying to say. It's just a silly little dark comedy. It's a silly little war satire that is just filled with really preposterous things. But you know what? I don't find the preposterous things that funny. I find them kind of boring. BTS Secrets and Scandals! 
<laughs> of all the, the secrets and scandals, uh, the biggest thing that I found was Peter Sellers was very funny, and he made a lot of people laugh during this movie. A lot of people. Even Kubrick. Kubrick, who, like I said, was a big perfectionist. He, yeah, even he made him chuckle. So, I'll get to that. Um, the the um, making of this movie, though, is pretty interesting. Kubrick, you know, was so passionate about it. He read nearly 50 books about nuclear war. Uh, and even, like, when they were filming this movie, and even after it came out, I mean, the actual U.S. government was really worried about it. They were worried that it would could possibly anger the Soviets and cause, you know, another war or a nuclear war. The Kind of like, you know, remember that Seth Rogen, James Franco movie, The Interview? Remember when that had to go, like, right, oh my god, pre-COVID, right to streaming? Because North Korea was like, no, we're actually going to bomb you if you release this movie because you're making fun of us, you know? This movie was kind of like that. Not that extreme, but um, there were, like, things that happened that... Uh, yeah, that basically put the government, you know, a little bit, it kind of put them on alert. Like, you know, for example, when there was a, a sequence while they were shooting aerial footage over Greenland, the second unit camera crew accidentally filmed a secret U.S. military base. Their plane was forced down and because the crew was suspected of being Soviet spies. Yeah, that's pretty awkward. In the early 1960s also, the B-52 was cutting-edge technology. Access to it was a matter of national security. And remember, this movie is, like, getting really into, you know, actual... Some of it's fictionalized, but some of it is, like, real technology that, you know, the government had. Um, I should mention, too, you know, in the beginning of this movie that the credits come up and it says, this movie is a work of fiction calm down basically <laughs> you know it's that it's that type of satire anyway uh, the pentagon refused to lend any support to dr strangelove the movie after they've read the script set designers reconstructed the b-52 bombers cockpit from a single photograph that appeared in a british flying magazine when some american air force personnel were invited to view the movie's b-52 cockpit they said it was a perfect copy yeah and the film, too, I mean, it led to actual changes in policy to ensure, this is kind of funny, to ensure that the events depicted could never really occur in real life. This movie was kind of like like a, 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 um, a manual for like this, I mean, it's silly because the movie, it sounds ridiculous because the movie is so outrageously absurd, but they actually used this movie as, you know, a safety book. Like, this is what could happen, you know? Yep, yeah, it's what could happen. <laughs> oh man other trivia well there's sad trivia involving the president well not sad one of them is sad the first test screening was scheduled for uh this movie this movie came out in 1964 but the first text sc test screening was scheduled for uh november 22nd 1963 but guess what happened jfk was assassinated so yeah they felt that it would be really uncomfortable to release a black comedy on such a sad day uh so they did not do that and then the other funny this is funny not dark uh presidential fact related to this movie is that when ronald reagan first took office one of the first things he actually asked about was the location of the war room in like the white house and he was told there was no such room there and he thought it was real because he had seen it in Dr. Strangelove. So there actually was no war room. This movie, I mean, really, people, it, it made an impact. It made an impact. It really did. I can honestly understand, you know, in, in researching it and rewatching it, how back in the day, yes, 
it really must have been so funny and kind of like, uh, 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 I, I use the word taboo too much, but kind of like, uh, what do they say? Wearing the emperor's new clothes or whatever. It's different. It just must have been so different to see a movie like this. I think about 1940 when Charlie Chaplin brought out, uh, uh, released The Great Dictator. The Great Dictator, a movie where he makes fun of Hitler and plays basically plays Hitler. An iteration of Hitler? I don't know. I haven't seen that movie in ages. 1940. The height of the world of World War II, a movie that makes fun of Hitler comes out. I mean, can you imagine how crazy that must have been when it came out? Yeah, insane. So Doctor Strangelove definitely had the same effect. Now on to Peter Sellers. So yes, he was the biggest star of this movie. He was paid one million dollars, which was fifty-five percent of the film's budget. Um, Sellers also improvised most of his lines. Again, kind of a surprising thing because Kubrick was so specific with the way he filmed. But Sellers and Kubrick, Sellers had just been in uh, Kubrick's previous movie, Lolita. He had a, a, a supporting role in that film. So, eh, I guess they were pals. Uh, there is a great deal of editing and cutaway shots in the sequence where Dr. Strangelove gets carried away in the war room and his out-of-control right hand makes Nazi salutes and tries to strangle him. They did this. That The editing is like that because they had to cover up the cast around Peter Sellers because they were laughing so much. I looked and I think I saw one of the actors trying not to laugh. Yeah. Also, this is crazy. Alien hand syndrome is a real thing. That's what Dr. Strangelove has in this movie. It's actually called agonistic apraxia, I think is how you say it. But they literally will call it Dr. Dr. Strangelove hand syndrome. It's a real thing. It's caused by damage to the corpus cal- callosum, the nerve fibers that connect the brain's two hemispheres. And, um... Yeah, it's a real thing. Dr. Strangelove Syndrome, actually. I got that wrong. Dr. Strangelove Syndrome. Dr. Strangelove Syndrome is what they call it. A lot of S's in this movie. Kind of sad, but uh, Peter Sellers had a big heart attack after this movie came out, and it even left him clinically dead. Jesus Christ. The experience changed him so much that he actually kind of stopped taking on big roles after this movie. So this movie was kind of like one of Sellers' last biggest achievements, you know? And he died pretty young. He, only, he was only 54 when he died. He did a movie called Being There uh, many years after this. And, you know, he did Casino Royale. He did What's New Pussycat uh, a, a year after Dr. Strangelove came out. But, yeah, this kind of was like his last really, really famous role. The best moment um i mean it's a cliche but i do love the shot of king kong on the bomb as it goes down yeah just a cool shot it's a cool shot it's it's kind of cool yeah and you know dr strange love doing that with the hand trying to do the nazi salute it's funny i didn't laugh out loud though i have to admit yeah but the the king kong on the bomb Oh, that sounds like a cool band name. I should do that. Or like a screen name. Are screen names still like a thing? Like AIM? I don't know. Oh, fuck AIM. I hated AIM. Anyway. Mais est-ce que je suis d'accord avec les critiques de ce film? Do I agree with the critics about this movie? Well, 
I don't know. Let's find out, shall we? Because I got to get the Word document up. I lost it. Oh, here it is. Okay, well, look, obviously everybody freaking loves uh, Dr. Strangelove. James Bardinelli of Real Views said, uh, the film is always saying something, and a viewer would have to be deaf and blind not to recognize the targets of the sarcasm. Yes, I get it. There is a lot of sarcasm in the movie. It's really silly. I get it. Marjorie Baumgarten, 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 excuse me, from the Austin Chronicle says, it's one of the greatest and undoubtedly the most hilarious anti-war statements ever put to film. See it before the world ends. I think you should see it before the world ends. I don't think it's one of the most hilarious movies though. If I was older, if I was like 13 or 17 when this came out and was still my usual self, then yes, I probably would agree. Michael Wilmington of the Chicago Tribune says this landmark movie's madcap humor and terrifying suspense remain undiminished by time. Terrifying suspense? No. Madcap humor? There's humor. I don't... Yeah, I guess I would call it madcap. Madcap, I don't really use that word ever, but it is madcap. I just didn't find it very funny. Jeff Andrew of Time Out says, perhaps Kubrick's most perfectly realized film, simply because his cynical vision of the progress of technology and human stupidity is wedded with comedy. I like that quote. I like the juxtaposition of, you know, this... this fear of the Cold War and the sphere of the increase in, in nuclear weapons, but it's it's juxtaposed with really dumb, silly characters, you know? I think I've said silly at least a hundred times in this episode, so I do apologize, but I do like that. I like the juxtaposition. This is not a bad movie. It's not a bad movie at all. Um, I will say that. Yeah. I just like Kubrick's other movies a lot more. Is it really one of the best movies of all time? Oh, boy. It's tough, man. It's really tough because it was ahead of its time when it came out. It was very daring. It was very original. You know what? I'm going to say, yeah, I do think it is one of the best movies, even though it's not one of my favorites. You got to remember how unbelievably huge, I mean, look, we've all seen, there's been trillions of movies about communism and the fear of communism and the fear of war, nuclear war and the Soviet Union, blah, 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 blah. There have been so many, you know, depictions of that. And for a movie to come out that just completely made fun of it all, it's a big deal. And that does make it stand out. So you know what? Yes. Yes, Mr. Kubrick. I do think that you made one of the greatest movies of all time. Thank you all for tuning in to this latest episode of I'm Reviewing Here. I will see you next time. In the meantime, get your ass off the couch and go to the goddamn movie. Stop streaming everything, okay? I don't care if you're cozy. You can get cozy at the movie theater. Sneak your slippers in. Sneak in some 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 vodka or whatever. And if you don't drink, sneak, then sneak in some, like, what is it? Red Bull? An energy drink. I don't know. You can get cozy at the movie theater, too. They have recliners now, okay? You can do it, all right? Just get off the couch, all right? Okay, all right. I gotta go brush my teeth again now. Bye-bye! you made it you made it you made it thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of i'm reviewing here new episodes drop tuesdays and fridays you can get this podcast wherever you get your podcasts feel free to follow me on instagram at i'm reviewing here you can also subscribe on youtube new episodes drop there the same day they drop on the podcast don't forget to subscribe please leave a review if you'd like be mean be nice 
hit on me. I don't really care. Candor really, really is important to me. And you know, it helps the podcast too. So uh, I really hope you enjoyed it. This podcast is brought to you especially by Nervous Chuckles. That is my fake production company because I make people nervously chuckle all the time because they never know if I'm telling a joke or not. So they're always like, <laughs> oh, yeah. do I laugh? Do I not laugh? Is he serious? Is he insane? Did he get out of the, the loony? What's going on? So if I made you nervously chuckle, then that means that I did my job. And thank you. There is uh, no funding for this podcast, but if you want to give me money, then uh, yeah, like hit me up. DM me. Bye-bye.